Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. What it is, Brad Lee back again with another episode of Dropping Bombs. Today in the studio, folks, well, we're actually not in the studio still. We're still at our shelter-in-place quarantine facilities, but we are together. Mitch Matthews and myself. Mitch, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be on here, man. And for those of you that don't know who Mitch Matthews is, man, he used to be a wide wide receiver, correct? Yeah, that's right. Wide receiver in the NFL, played for a couple of teams, Kansas City, I know for sure. Um, Cleveland Browns, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, Miami probably, Dolphins. Probably, yeah, the Dolphins, the Dolphins. Dude, let me ask you a question. When you're playing in the NFL, dude, how, like after each game, were all the chicks like hanging out, waiting for the players to come out of the tunnel? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think it's like that. I think in, in movies they make it seem like that, but I don't think that's like that in, in real life. It, it definitely isn't like that. They shelter you pretty well. So when you guys go into the locker room, right, and then you, obviously you, you, you get dressed, then what? You guys walk out the back to the, to the cars – Nobody, no fans sitting there. No, no. What do you call them? I don't even know what you no, call them. I mean, it, it is very high security for sure. I mean, you have like your chief of security, and he has his team. It's very well walkie-talkie. But they keep the grounds pretty, pretty secure. So if you want to go have your parties, your fun, you, you know, your whatever, is you, you go downtown, and, and, and the, the guys will have their fun there. Do they have fun? Is it pretty easy to get a you get a few females being an NFL player. <laughs> well, while I was in the NFL, I was married. So for, for me, it was, it was very easy because I had one wife that loved me. So that was easy for me. But uh, it depends on what team you're with. If you're in Miami, you're definitely living the Miami life if you want to. But if you're in Minnesota or in Cleveland, life looks a little bit different with more snow than it does in Miami. Yeah. Well, I've always wondered because, you know, you, you, you see these athletes and, and you just got to imagine like, every, like in hockey and football and baseball, just like – um, there's songs, rap songs about. It. I've always wondered because I've never really played the athlete game. Although you won't believe me, but I did. I did run a 440. Most of the athletes you would think just get inundated with offers and what have you. And I've always wondered about that. So since how I have you on the on the on the call, I figured I'd ask. But it sounds like you were a good dude anyway. Married when you were playing. <laughs> are you Are you still married or no? I'm married. Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you the the options increase the likelihood of cheating but i always because that's what they say you know people only cheat because they have the option or in other words a lot of guys that don't cheat are only because they don't have the option to a lot of guys that that get a lot more options apparently supposedly they all cheat i gotta tell you that i don't and i don't necessarily uh uh, brag about it it's just you know when you're married i think ultimately you got to take the high road and the ethical road and 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 do what you said you're going to do and if you ever feel like, you know, getting outside of that relationship, I think you should just either obviously have an open one or break up. What are your thoughts on that? 100%. You know, back back to what you're saying, I I, I do think the reason why movies are made about athletes and the life they they can live is because you can live that if you want to. You can live whatever any life you like. And especially when you're in that spotlight and you have, you know, millions of followers on your social media, 
then, you know, you open up your, your DMs and there's thousands of messages, you know, and we have, I play with some guys that are extremely popular. And so, um, you know, you have those type of guys, but it's just personal choice. Even the most popular guy on the team could be married with three kids and live that life with his blinders on. But then you have, you have guys that, that, that may, or may not, uh, be married and live a lavish life in whatever style they want to. So like you said, if, if you committed to one thing, then just stick to that one thing or else you're going to be living a lie. In any lie that you're living, it's not fun anyways. So that's my opinion. How old are you? 28, 29 in uh, two days. You're a young man, young man. <laughs> Dude, when I, when I was in, believe it or not, when I was in junior high, I ran a 4-4-40. Nobody ever wants to believe that, but it's in the really? records. Huh? That's, a, that's, that's blazing. That's white lightning right there. It is blazing. I didn't know it. My parents weren't uh, a lot for, uh, you know, sports and parenting. They kind of just, you know, they were children should be seen and not heard type of thing. My dad came to one sporting event my whole life, which was swimming at the time, you know, and believe it or not, I got disqualified in that, in that meet because I swam too fast. Now everybody hears this. They're like, yeah, right. This sounds like a bunch of shit, but dude, I'm telling you that I'm telling you the God's honest truth made my children and my whole family drop dead. If I'm lying first swim meet ever, they put me in the guppies, which is where you start. I beat everybody so badly. They disqualified me. That's the only meet my or only sporting event. My dad came to. Then growing up, you know, getting into uh, junior high and high school, I was playing football. I like football and baseball. So anyway, I, in, in, in football, I ran a 4-4-40, and I didn't even know that that was fast until probably four or five years past high school. I didn't even know That's that crazy. that was fast. That's My coach, fast. nobody freaked out. Nobody did anything. But when I started saying it, people were like, you're full of shit. I'm like, dude, I swear. Like I was sitting there t- telling somebody – Turns out there was a running back for UNLV. This is right when I moved to Vegas. This is about when I was 21, 22. Um, and I told someone that, and little did I know, the running back for UNLV was sitting there. And so they said, well, then that means you could beat Tony. I'm like, well, then I guess I could. So we went out and we raced, and I beat him about two body lengths, and everyone couldn't believe that I beat him. But, yeah, man, I was white lightning. I, I probably could have ended up in the NFL, but they weren't making a bunch of money back then anyway. Yeah, why don't you pursue that, man? If you're four four, and it seems like it was almost an untrained four four, like you just went out and did it. That's fast. That's real fast. Yeah, I was. I run a, a four four seven laser time exactly, but I had trained for that. Right? I'm six foot six, two hundred twenty five pounds. That's a big body to get moving. So I had to train for that specific, you know, form and every step and everything. So trained four four seven is one thing, but an untrained four four and beating a divisional running back that's fast, man. Hey, you ain't lying. And again, it's in the records. It's in the records. <laughs> you go, you go back to Lincoln Junior High School. Look it up. That was in junior high, by the way. But, but anyway, I don't, I don't want to uh, go down memory lane for me because I, I didn't go to foot. I, I dropped out of high school. I didn't go. I quit. I basically quit football because the coach got pissed. Said something. I had to do something. I pushed out. Said no. My parents weren't there to, to like say, get your ass back into football. So basically, I blew sports altogether. Of course, again, I didn't know that you could make a bunch of money. And even back then, I don't think you could. Like, I'm 50. So 30 years ago, 40 years ago, no, like, yeah, 35 years ago, I would have been. So they weren't making any money back then, were they? Were they? They just started doing it in the last 10, 15, right? It's gotten crazy over the last yeah, 10, 15 years, but I think guys were still making money back then, especially if you, if you last, you know, six, seven years, the retirement still lasts, and, and it's, it's nice even, you know, however old you are. You know, if you play seven years, you, 
every year past four years, you get that retirement money, which is nice. So how, how it's, it's definitely you- not, you know, the, the quarter of a billion dollar checks we see now in contracts we see now, but it's uh, it was definitely something back then too. How long did you last? Just a couple of years. Did you, that's what it stands for, NFL. Not for long, from what they say. 100%. Yeah, I think I made the average. I made, I made the NFL for the average. Not for long is, is very accurate. Is it because you guys get banged up and hurt real bad real soon? Or what? why did, Why is it not last long? I would say injuries is probably the biggest thing, I would say. Injuries is a big one. I would just say wrong fit. You know, when I was with certain teams, I would get called back. By, they would cut me, and I get called back by that team. It just wasn't the right fit at the time. And then they call you back and want you later when other guys have gotten injured. Because you got to remember, on, a, on an NFL team, there's only 53 guys in the roster, and it's not allowed to have any more than that. You can't just bring in your, you know, your posse and have 100 guys on a team. It's 53, and that's, that's the max. So I remember when I was on the Minnesota Vikings, they had a free safety get hurt. And because the free safety got hurt, they had to move like six different positions around and they ended up cutting me as a wide receiver, you know? And so you can only squeeze 53 guys. That team ended up wanting me back later. The Browns wanted me back later when my hamstring was better. And so it's the right fit would be a big one for reason for getting cut and definitely injury is another one for sure. That's awesome. So, so when you got out of the NFL, you basically opened up a pest control company and started dominating in that field. We did, man. Actually, I was still in the NFL while I started this business. So this is exactly three years and one month ago that I started this pest control business. I was still playing. I was in the Minnesota Vikings at the time. And I had gotten cut uh, two times before this. And exactly what you're talking about, NFL, not for long. I was like, you know what? Like, I know I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I know what I want to do passively. Even if I played till I was 40 years old, I was still going to be an entrepreneur at that point. So I knew that point was coming in my life. I have a strong, strong passion for entrepreneurship. And so I was like, you know what? During this offseason, why don't I start a business with the credible name that I built for myself, find great business partners and use the connections I've made for myself throughout you know, BYU and to the NFL. And so I started this business and got the ball rolling at the time. And luckily my business partners uh, were, were willing to take the business and run with it while I was still playing. And so I ended up signing with a couple more teams after that. Um, so I missed the first year of my business and my business partners were, were strong enough to do it on their own. And then uh, when I came back after I played with the Dolphins and hurt my ankle, I came full time into this and it's been three years since we've had this business. And we've done, um, we'll do actually in the next six months over the last three years and six months, we'll do over 15 million in revenue. Um, we'll be in three different cities and about to open our fourth city. We'll have over 100 sales reps in our company and we'll be doing some big things some record breaking things. And so that isn't to brag whatsoever. It's just, it's just, it's just a story for, for those who think that they need a perfect time to start a business. I was in the busiest time of my life and started a business. And so, uh, it ended up working out well. And so I, I definitely wouldn't change a thing. Tell me, um, the reason why I was excited to have you on is because of the thing you mentioned earlier, where you, you actually can give people an opportunity to make money. You can teach them how to do it and give them the opportunity itself. Correct. 100%. Yeah. Right right now there's a lot of people that are sitting there wondering how they're going to feed their family, how they're going to pay their bills. You know, they're nervous, they're scared, they're displaced. And I'll tell you, you know, somebody has to come along with some opportunities and I look for them. So I'm, I'm uh, really happy to have you on the show today only to talk about some of those opportunities. So, so ultimately you're going to teach people how to close deals, present cold call, find traffic, find leads and earn a living. 100%. Oh yeah. And how does a football, I mean, again, not that a football player wouldn't necessarily know how to do this, but how do you go from the NFL to freaking being a badass at sales or were you always kind of slick the whole time? 
You know, I, I've always had the gift of a gab. I will say that. So I think the guys that have that, that doesn't mean you're a good salesperson or a good closer. It just means that you like talking to people and you enjoy a good conversation. And so if you can channel someone with the gift of gab into being a closer, how to take a customer from A to Z or a client you know, from A to Z, if you can channel that into actual sales and professionalism in the workplace, you typically are pretty good at it. Now, I think what football taught me was the mindset side of sales. There's two big parts of sales. There's a skill of sales, actually knowing the, 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 the ins and outs of a sale, how that actually works and the psychology of sales. And on the other side of the coin, there's the mental aspect to it. And I think that's what football taught me was, was that relentlessness, that energy, that passion, that persistence. That typically is what wins you that customer is those things. But then you add the, the, the skilled salesperson. Uh, I was reading in the book Not Taught recently by Jim Keenan. He says that the optimistic salesperson will outsell the learned salesperson by 20% in their first year and 40% in their second year, which means I'll take an optimist, someone who's just hungry, strong, willing, over someone who thinks they know how to sell somebody. And so that was the situation I was in, Brad, was – I was super optimistic for my life. I knew that I had this, the, the raw skill set to talk to people. I knew that I was extremely mentally strong for my history in sports and making it to the highest level. And so I was like, you know what? If I can put that and just add some skill to that, I think I'll be pretty good at this. And so that was just my mindset of it. I, I knew I was an optimist, and an optimist is going to outsell that learned salesman any day. Now, you take the optimist and give them the skills of that learned salesman and coach them and teach them, they're record breakers. They're unstoppable. How did you pick the business you're in? Luckily, my business partners had been in the pest control space for years. And so it might seem unique, like pest control. It's not just where you go spray bugs and and the answer is yes. But the way we gain our customers and our marketing is 100%. And when I say 100%, I mean 100% through door-to-door sales, or we call it direct-to-home sales. So we have an office in Atlanta, Georgia, Dallas, Texas, and Houston, Texas. About 30 sales reps in each. And every single day, we give those sales reps their own area, in other words, their own neighborhood. And they'll go out and talk to, you know, they'll knock on about 200 doors a day, 150 to 200 doors a day. They'll talk to about 80 to 100 people, and they'll give out probably 20 to 30 pitches in a day. And our pitch is our pest control pitch. We call it our record-breaking pitch. It's how to, how to become a master salesman. And so if you're giving out 20 to 30 cold pitches a day, knocking on 200 doors a day, you're going to have to become pretty good at talking to people. And our guys do that. The reason why I told you that age limit, not necessarily limit, but that age that we have at 18 to 30 is because most of that, that age group is still in college or looking for their first job. And so they'll come out for May, June, July, and August, the summer months when the bugs are the worst. And they'll knock on about 10,000 doors in the summertime. It's crazy. It's awesome. It gets me fired up. You can tell by my face right now. I'm fired up about the stuff. Now you went to Brigham Young. What's that? You went to Brigham Young? I did, yeah. So what happens is all these guys come out knocking on 10,000 doors in the summer, give, you know, six, 7,000 pitches and get denied five, 6,000 times in the summer, you know? And so it teaches them resiliency. It teaches them how to get through no's and it teaches them how to talk to people. And so for me, I, I think sales is a great stepping stone, but especially door-to-door sales, direct-to-home. You're knocking on a door of a, of a person who has no idea you're coming. They're probably working. They're probably cooking. And within 10 minutes, you have to lock them down to a two-year contract for us to come to the pest control of the house and get their credit card information within 10 minutes. It's a pretty cool skill to be able to have in your back pocket. And so that's why, that's why I love what I do. It's a, it's a massive skill to have that in your back pocket. You can transfer that to, from, from pest to solar to alarms to 
cars to RVs and to basically yeah. entrepreneurialism. If you've got the ability to close people, especially a door to door situation, that's probably like what I would say one of the hardest to, to it's, it's not like they're coming to you and you just present your product and greet a customer. Yeah. You got to knock on doors and get told to F off and you know, all that nonsense. What, what's going on right now with the COVID? Do you think, do you think that's uh, you, you're not allowed to knock on doors right now? Are you? Good question. So with our business, it's an essential business, essential service. So pest control and bugs carry diseases. And, and so that, that part of it is right now, uh, when we teach our guys that who are going door to door, they're not allowed to stand, with, stand within 10 feet from the door. So they knock on a door, they stand 10 feet back. They never go into a customer's home. They're never shaking hands. Um, and so our guys are standing far enough back to where it's a little bit different than our old sale of being right at the door, right in front of somebody. So we're standing far back and almost just telling uh, you know, the prospects, why we're there, why we're in the neighborhood and, and why our trucks are in the neighborhood treating these homes, how we can help them as well. So it's a little bit different approach to, to the sale, but we're definitely not up, up in people's, uh, up in people's doors and up in their faces. We're sending far back and making sure they're safe before anything. But they're, but they're able to continue. Yeah. 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 So we have, I mean, every day we have probably 15 guys out selling now and we'll put on 40 new homes a day now. And every day this summer, we'll probably put on 200 new homes a day. How, how compared to prior to COVID, how, how is it going? Honestly, it hasn't changed much. It really wow. hasn't because more people are home now. So if I go knock on 200 doors a day, about 80 aren't even going to answer wanting to be home. And the other 20 to 30, the decision maker might not be home. The decision maker is typically the one working, right? And so at that time, uh, you had to really prospect and go find the homes where the decision maker was home. That was the biggest key indicator for us. Now everyone's home. And so all you have to do is just make sure you're extra safe and standing far back, no handshakes, no going inside people's homes and uh, staying outside and typically the decision maker's home, which is nice. And so a lot of our top guys are selling better than they ever have. So Dallas, Atlanta, and Houston are where the opportunities are. What's the city you want to open up? We're thinking about opening up a couple next year. Uh, our bread and butter has been in the southeast, so Orlando, Florida, somewhere in Florida is, is where we're looking at. But somewhere in the southeast, because that's where we've kind of dominated thus far. So if people are listening to this right now and they want to make some money with you guys, number one, who do they call? How do they get a hold of you? Number two, do they have to be in Dallas, Houston, or Atlanta? No, a good question. I'll answer that first. Actually, I would say 98% of our sales reps don't actually live in those cities. We have most of our guys live in either Idaho, Montana, Utah, East Coast, uh, Tennessee, uh, North Carolina. In their summer semester when they don't have school, they'll come down for those four summer months. They'll sell first and they'll go back and go, go back to school. And uh, so most of our guys, just they, they go down and we provide the housing for them in an apartment. So we're all living together. So we train together every single morning. We ship them out to their area that day. And uh, before, obviously, we're in the correlation, teach them how to sell and teach them how to have a good day. Um, so that's what they do is they migrate down there for those, those, uh, those three to four months. And then they go back to their regular lives the eight months of the year. Um, but if, if someone is looking to do this, if someone's serious about, you know, making great money, um, have them reach out to me on my social media at Mitch Matthews 10. Uh, Matthews is one T on it. So it's at Mitch Matthews 10 or our Instagram Anthem sales. They can reach out to me or my assistant will be on there and, uh, we're hiring all the time. Obviously this job is for people who, um, want to make great money. We are hiring currently, um, because we're able to put on a lot of volume fast and we have great operations that allows us to hire new sales guys pretty frequently. We actually have hired people that have lost a job from COVID-19. We've hired them on our, on our staff and on our, on our sales force. So it's been pretty cool. 
Yeah, it's great when you can give someone an opportunity when they're sitting there scared shitless about what are they going to do. It sounds like one of those deals uh, where they're where the culture's strong too, right? Because you gotta you gotta like show up. You know, there's if you're staying in the same apartment or apartment complex as everybody else, I would imagine there's more than one person in the complex or in in the apartment. So yeah. it's got it's got to be like an old frat deal, right? Honestly, there's a lot of similarities. At BYU, there wasn't fraternity, so I've never been in a fraternity, but I, I can only imagine. So how we do it is we'll typically get eight to ten apartments, and there's four guys in each apartment. And so a lot of times they'll come back that day, and someone in the in the in the house, the apartment had a really good day, and someone didn't, and so they're you know they're ragging on each other, or they're they're competing against each other. This is a hard job, flat out. Sales is a hard job. And so if you want to be a high performer it's going to be tough. And so it's nice to have guys that are out there on the same grind as you. A lot of times from door to door sales, you have hilarious stories of people that you met that day and you're able to come back at nighttime, you know, decompress and talk to each other, share funny stories, share the tips, things that are working. And then all of us, all 30 to 40 of us in the morning, will get together and I'll run the sales meeting on the topic that day. I'll ask the guys what they're hearing, what objections they're getting. We have about 17 objections that we've nailed down that we typically hear throughout the day. And we go over those 17 objections. We go over intro, paraverbals, nonverbals. I mean, anything you think of. It's how to close people. And so this isn't something we just send guys out and say, good luck on the doors and hopefully bring us back clients. It's very structured, very detailed, and we compete. We have tournaments, and it's really, really fun. So, again, if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, what if a 50-year-old wants to? You just say no or, or – Oh, come out 100%. I, I'm trying to recruit you to come out right now if you didn't notice. You're 50 on the dot, so let's get out there. I'm just, I'm just playing. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but ideally what you're saying is the average is, you know, more 25-year-old type thing. But yeah. it doesn't matter. If someone's 45 out of a job, you're more than will, willing to give them a shot. 100%. And the reason why I say those numbers is because that's our average. You know, we have guys between 18 and 30, average is probably 24, 25, and they're living together, you know, and, and they're able to connect. And I mean, these guys are becoming best friends and networking well. So obviously, we'll take anyone that, that would love to a good sales opportunity and for me to coach them. Dude, it sounds like it's one of those deals that it's a huge boot camp, if nothing else. Like, in other words, when I when I was growing up, I, I did one. I forget what the ad said, but it was basically rock and roll atmosphere. I forget. I think we were selling magazines door to door, magazine subscriptions. And when I showed up, I'm like, hey, what's up? They're like, oh, well, we travel around in this bus and then, or not this bus, this van. And there's like 12 people, guys and girls, you know, and literally they just roll up, grab a, a hotel room for three days and work the town. And we'd knock on doors. Now, I only did it for about a week, dude, but it was fun as hell. But it was boot camp, man. It was boot camp. You got good training quick, and you got a lot of practice quick. And that's what it boiled down to. And I think, I think personally, it, it helped me in life. You yeah. know, my mindset, my thick skin, you know what I'm saying? You got to have thick skin. I've been told no over a million times. It doesn't bother me to knock on a door and get a no. Um, you know, we'd come back afterwards to the hotel room. It wasn't an apartment. But it was a hotel room, dude, and there was like freaking 12 of us in like four rooms. Yeah. But, it's you know, fun. We, it, it, it's like a crash course. It, it really is a crash course. If you want to come out and learn how to sell, if you want to learn how to sell in general, the best way to learn how to sell is, is get denied the most amount of times. Doing That's it. the best way to learn how to sell. And the people that you know, get denied the most amount of times, and it really affects their day. They come home with their shoulders slapped that actually getting denied comes from. I'm not kidding. I would venture to say that I've been denied more times than most people, if not every single person in this country. I'm serious. But that's the reason I feel like I've had success. 
you know, I put myself in a position to literally get denied. If I get denied 90% of my day uh, for, for summers and summers and summers and years, then I'm probably going to be the best salesman if I have the right mindset behind it. If, if it affects me or hurts my feelings. And Brad, I got to be honest, man, I was cut four different times in the NFL, four times. And when you get cut by an NFL team, it's not like just your mom and dad and your, your, your wife and your brother hear about it. Millions of million and millions of people hear about it, right? So getting denied or getting told no, I feel like I've kind of become immune to that. And I feel like that's one of the biggest reasons why I've been able to have success in what I do. That's, you know, thick skin and mindset is 100%, I think, an advantage. Most people do not get the uh, opportunity to develop. Thick skin and mindset, you know, having that ability to where if you can get cut, it doesn't even bother you. The, the other day I was talking to my wife about, um, I forgot who we lost on the night's hockey. I started watching hockey. I never really knew hockey or liked hockey, but my wife uh, grew up with it. So I'm like, okay, let's get some season tickets. So I got a suite and, and glass seats and we're sitting there for the whole two uh, golden nights. You've heard about them. Everybody's heard about yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so it was almost like the first season was almost crazy. So, so I, I'm starting to really actually love hockey. Like hockey's badass. And then all of a sudden, like players gone. I'm like, where'd he go? Players gone. I said, dude, cause she knows a couple of the players and their wives. She grew, went to school with either the player or the wife, but I'm like, dude, how does, how do you think that makes them feel when, when the team basically says, like, you know, don't want you, don't need you. Or what about if you're sitting there in Vegas and you're chilling, you just get a badass house, you start meeting friends, and then all of a sudden, sorry, you just got traded up to Calgary. Like, right. dude, what happens? How do you deal with that? You know, first of all, if you're, if you're in a professional sport and the first thing you do is go and buy a nice luxury home, I think that's the, that's the first mistake you're making. But it, it's super, super hard because when you get cut – you typically have no idea. They're, when they say like pink slip in the locker, check out this story. And, and I don't mean any ill words upon any team that, that I respect every team I was with and love every team I was with. But when I got cut by the Minnesota Vikings, um, their, their general manager brought me upstairs and he told me all these wonderful things. Mitch, we're going to get you back. No problem. We like you. We like you. You know, we, we think you can compete for a spot this year. You know, pump my head full of stuff. And then they say, well, but right now, because this, you know, whatever happened, if it switched the roster around and we're going to have to let you go. It's, it's a total surprise. And after the meeting with, with the general manager at that time, this is no joke. By the time I walked downstairs, which took me 25 seconds my locker was already being cleaned out, which means by the time I was walking down, someone must have made a phone call and said, yep, cut, we got him clean out his locker. And my locker was already being cleaned out. Like that's how fast it happens. And once again, that, that's just me uh, just telling you the actual truth of what happens, not me trying to be, to be rude to any team or how they do the business. It's, it's what they do. It's just how it is. And so no. things can happen so fast. And so you just need to be prepared for that. When you have a chance to shine in practice or a chance to shine, uh, you know, in a, in a game or preseason game and, and make your mark, you've got to perform and you got to shine. And so relating this back to, to sales and business, my time, you know, I started this business uh, right before I got cut. It was, um, my, my, my mom passed away a couple of days before my wedding. I was signed by the Minnesota Vikings or was on the Minnesota Vikings and started this business all within a two week span in the Minnesota Vikings cut me. That taught me some serious, serious resilience to make sure this business goes really, really well. And so I, I've been able to channel failure and setback and failure and setback into allowing me to know how that feels, never want it again. And, and honestly, avoid that and, and, and start having some success. 
Do you, um, do you ever like get pissed? Yeah, for sure. Like, or did, did you ever walk out and like, you're now you, now you're like literally pissed off, like scumbags. Like why would, my question is why are they cutting you? Because, because a, a player, they want to get a player that's better than you. You didn't catch a ball one day. Like, why do they you know, cut a lot you? of times? They, a lot of times they don't give you much. I remember when I was in the Browns, I, I, I was, I was doing really, really well. The head coach came up to me and said how well I was doing. And I hurt my hamstring. It was just barely, it was just barely starting to bug me. And I remember a couple of people came up and asked me, I think you'd tell that it was, it was bothering me. You know, hey, how's your hamstring? How's your hamstring? And, and, uh, and I didn't really, you don't really want to give all your cards away. Like, you know, as a player, like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good for sure. Because you don't want to tell them you're hurt. Or else that's, that's, there's only 53 guys in the roster. They don't want half of them hurt, right? And so I, uh, I ended up getting a call that day after telling my first person my hamstring was, a little bit, was bothering me. It was cut the next morning, right? Literally cut the next morning. When they hear all these whisperings, if you're not feeling good, performing well, you drop a pass or your hamstring hurts, you could be gone the next day because they don't want old fruit. They don't want, you know, bruised up fruit. They want guys who are healthy and can play in the moment. And once again, that's just how it works. That's, that's the job I signed up for. So I was not okay with it. I was extremely upset about it, you know. Your things are going so, so, so well. The head coach is loving what you're doing. He comes up to you and makes a, a special trip to your locker to tell you how good you're doing, and the next day you're gone. That, that's the reality. You can walk downstairs, your locker's being cleaned out, and 30 seconds ago you thought you were living your dream job. That's just the reality. Is it so, – Go ahead. Is it somebody like that doesn't even work there making these decisions or is it, is it like actually the head coach? Is it ever the, the boys upstairs? Coach. It's the GM. So the general manager is the one who hires the head coach. So there's the owner. Then he hires the general manager who's over everything, operations and which guys they draft, the team, and then the head coach. So the head coaches are the most well-known guys because they're on TV calling the plays, but they're not actually the one that creates the roster. Some head coaches like Bill Belichick, um, or Pete Carroll, their GM and head coach, but it's rare in the NFL. Most of the time, it's just uh, owner who's really in charge, the GM, and then the head coach, and then uh, uh, you know the other other staff and other players. So, out of curiosity, if I wanted to reach a player on the Minnesota Vikings and I sent something Federal Express signature required to the locker room, would they get it? Oh yeah, for sure. You have packages all the time, just gifts from companies or you have a partnership with a certain company and they, and they come in all the time. So yeah, they definitely would look at it, regulate it, scan it. Do we have to put it through a metal detector? What do they have to do to keep it safe? But uh, we definitely got fan mail all the time. Some, some players, they, every time they come out of the locker, there's like seven packages, you know, fan mail and hundreds of letters, but uh, it definitely would get there. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked that is because I told somebody if I, cause I'm, I started this little brand called goat work, goat work clothing. You know, if you want to be the greatest of all time, if you want to be the goat, you got to do the work. So I just created it. It's just for fun, but it's got a cool little goat logo. I told somebody, I'm going to send this to Tom Brady. They said, good luck. I said, what do you mean? Well, now, now I guess he's now, now it'd be good luck. Where did, where'd he end up? Anyway, Long story short, I said, I said, I'm going to send this to Tom Brady because he's considered the GOAT. That'll get everybody in Boston wanting the brand. They said, good luck. I said, what are you talking about? I'll just send it to the freaking stadium. Signature required. They said, shut the fuck up. That ain't going to work. <laughs> and I said, dude, if I send this to Tom Brady at that stadium, it might get scrutinized or held, but it will get to Tom. And if it's signature required, wouldn't he have to sign for it? Uh, yeah. Or they would just keep taking it back to, to FedEx and they might just say, you know, no, this is, we've tried too many times to get there. I think in his circumstance, when he's past football, it's more a celebrity style. I think it actually might be tougher, but I'm sure he gets 
to his locker with his personal liaison and personal assistant. They probably sift through all the mail, which I'm sure it's hundreds of pieces a day. And he'll probably pick out what he wants. If it's coming from kids or children, uh, you know, he might read it. If it's cool stories, I think maybe he has an assistant read through all of his letters first. Um, but if, if he has to personally sign for it, you know, that's a great marketing technique. I don't know if it'll work, but it definitely would get to the building. It would definitely get into the hands of a person who knows Tom directly. So you might as well try it out. I think it would work. I think it would work. And you're right. I never thought about being Tom himself, but like, you know, you, you already verified it. You said, yeah, we'd, we'd get the packages. That is legit. Just yeah, if you, anyone's they, listening. They it, whether they look at it and wear it or whether they toss it away, whatever. I don't know. But I know guys, every time they came back to the locker, there's seven different packages from Adidas, from Nike, from, you know, whatever their, their sponsorships are. And they get the fan mail as well from kids and just regular fans. Dude, I get packages. I get gifts like this. This is from somebody. I like that. This is a phone charger. I know. I loved it. And so now everybody always says, where do you get that? I probably sold them a hundred of these, but someone just made these and sent them to me. Um, I like it. Yeah, me too. So again, I get, I get fan gifts and I'm not even a celebrity. So I guarantee you, dude, if you want to, if you want to reach somebody, you got to think outside the box. Most people do not think of the simplest thing. And where I'm going with this is that's where I believe you know, if you want to learn sales and you go to a company like yours where not only are you willing to teach them, but give them the opportunity. Normally it's here, I'll teach you, but I'm not going to hire you. You know, I don't have a company. My company's teaching you. And then there's, well, we'll hire you, but you got to know, you know, what you're doing. We're looking for experience. You've got the best of both worlds, dude. You've got a company where you don't need experience. You will, you will train somebody with a group of people that are out doing it every day. You're willing to do the work. And, and, and it's, it's just a unique opportunity. I would strongly urge somebody that's sitting there right now thinking, I wonder what I should do, uh, about money to, to, to reach out to you. And then what about safety? Like you guys are staying 10 feet back and like my, my spray guy, uh, I don't know what day he comes, but you know, he just walks around the outside and psh, I don't ever talk to him. So it's like, you're not, you're not really in any COVID danger, are you? Yeah, with the, you know us being an essential business, our, our technicians wear masks now, and they go out, out around the base of the home. They'll clean the cobwebs for the person. They're out in the yard, but it's outside, and we're, we're not allowed to come inside now, so it's, it's perfect for our technicians to be safe, and obviously the safety of our customers is most important, so it's safe for them as well. And we've been really tough on our sales guys to no one comes within 8 to 10 feet. You stay right there. You don't shake hands, come inside. Even if you meet someone that wants to, you just stay right there and just uh, you know stay back and make sure they're safe. And since people are home, people are buying. So as long as we're keeping people extremely safe and their homes healthier uh, with a bug-free home, then we're happy. All right, so so real quick, you said there's 17, there's 17 main objections that you guys always hear the same. And I try to teach that when I'm talking to salespeople that usually if you stick around an industry long enough, you think there's a million reasons why someone doesn't buy, but when you write them down and you really look back at every single one of them, it usually boils down to 10 or 20 that are just said differently. So, yep. so, so you said 17 are the main ones. What are the top five objections that you get from a direct-to-home knock, knock, knock? What do you, what's the yeah. top five? So we, we have, I have all 17 here. These are my, we'll obviously read them off, but that's our record-breaking script we give out to all of our guys that they memorize before they go out. But the biggest ones, definitely the spouse objection. I need to talk to my spouse is the biggest one. What's and the whether that's a smoke screen or whether that's an actual objection, that, that's the one you get a lot. I need to talk to my husband or I need to talk to my wife, right? That's a big one. I need to think about it is a common one in sales that you're, you'll hear. 
Um, it's just too expensive. You'll hear that one a lot as well. Um, those are probably the top three, I would say. Uh, the contract objection is also a big one where people don't want to be locked into a two-year contract to have someone spray their bugs. Uh, those are probably the main four right there. Let me see uh, what else I would think. would be the top the fifth one. So how do you teach somebody to get past those? Like, I need to think about it. What's your, what's your spiel? Yeah, I mean, I always start by flat out asking them, you know, which is it specifically? Is it a price thing or is it uh, blank? Whether From whatever the conversation's been, is it they're in love with their company? Is it uh, too expensive for them? Is it not enough service? Find out exactly what it is. Because typically if you ask them what they want to think about, they'll typically tell you the actual real objection, which typically boils down to, and I hear this one a lot, is, you know, I just need to talk to my spouse. I just need to... I just need to run it by the wife to make sure. And that a lot of times is a valid, valid concern. But what we teach our guys in that circumstance where they need to talk to their spouses is to absorb that and understand that. So what we teach is something called feel, felt, found. Okay? So when someone gives you an objection, you always want to feel for it. Because you got to remember that when they buy from you, they understand that money is going into your pocket. So if you're a jerk salesman, they don't want money in your pocket, right? So you have to feel for people and actually understand what their concern is. So when we say feel, felt, found, the first thing you say is, look, I understand. I feel for you. You actually use the word feel. Like I feel for you. So they know that you heard what they said. Then what you do is you take the neighbor and you piggyback the neighbor who had that same excuse but just sold them, okay? Your neighbor felt, feel, felt, found. Your neighbor felt the exact same way. But what he found was, feel felt found, that for just an extra $5 a month, he could get his entire yard treated, the fire ants treated, and the cobwebs cleaned on his entire property as well. So you say, feel felt found. I feel you. He felt the same way. But the reason why he still bought from us is because he found that for 5 bucks more a month, that's, that's dirt cheap for best control. You know, and then you, when you bring in the neighbors as well, it's kind of hard, it's harder for that person at the door to say no because now it's not just me trying to sell them, it's me and the neighbor who I just brought in the picture as well. So what we really try to do is, is institute the feel, felt, found in this circumstance. And it really helps people understand like, you know what, you're right, for just five bucks more a month, that's nothing. And you just put it in perspective for them and they typically buy. Do you have a podcast at all? I don't, man. I don't. You know, you would think, you would think, a podcast in that door-to-door world would blow up like crazy. Yeah. There is a door-to-door podcast that a lot of guys subscribe to that I've actually been on. Um, if I was to do a podcast, and I've been, I've been asked that question a ton, it'll probably come in the fall and it'll be more, I'll talk a lot about door-to-door sales because I think that's the best way to learn sales, but it'll be more about just sales you know, in general and connecting with people in general. I think that's a pandemic in this world is emotional intelligence and people not knowing how to connect and to use certain words and not use certain words and do certain things to connect with people. Because if you can connect with people, man, it's lights out. You don't, you don't have to know sales at all. If you connect with that person, it's pretty easy to close them. So, so what, what, what are your goals with this company? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your end goals? You know, at this rate, we just want to continue to grow. You know, if we could have a, an office in every major city in the country, uh, one of our goals now is to have, with this leadership group, have an, an Anthem Pest Control office in every single state, you know, that, that's a big, big goal. Uh, there's other companies that have, that, that are there already. So we know it can be done, but my purpose and passion for this business isn't in pest control. What it is, is I like teaching, I don't want to say young men, but young men, young women, just people in general, 
how to connect with people, teach them the art of sales and teach them really how to communicate with people. That is, like I said, that's, that's another pandemic in this world is people don't necessarily know how to communicate effectively and get what they want out of life. People won't accomplish their dreams just because they don't know how to tell a person next to them what their dreams are. They don't know how to tell their mentor what their dreams are. They don't know how to communicate to a group of people and influence a group of people to, to help them f- follow them to make their dreams possible. So I think communication is the next biggest pandemic that we're seeing in this world right now. And so I love that. I love being able to get a guy who's never sold a thing in his life, who's 22 years old, just graduated college, to take them under my wing, teach them how to sell something out of door, help them make 20, 30, 40, 50 grand in the, in the amount of a summertime. And to have that skill set to take with them the rest of their life, I hope they stay with the company for a long time. But my, my passion in this business necessarily isn't in the eradication of bugs, but it's in teaching young people communication skills, not just young people, but any people communication skills, because that will truly change their life and help them accomplish their dreams. Well, you ain't lying. I'll tell you right now, that's a fact. And, I, and you can carry that into anything. If you guys are sitting there listening and you're sitting there wondering how you're going to pay your, your bills, dude is there a crew right now someone could join if they 100%. if they fit yeah reach out we'll, we'll find a fit for them in, in houston texas dallas texas atlanta georgia they have to commit to coming out if we're going to get them housing commit to coming out for four months time that's it but we work so hard in those four months it's as if you're cramming a year's worth of work seriously i mean my so i'll tell you this brad just to put it in perspective uh and, and i'm pretty raw with numbers i don't make up numbers and, and earnings my first summer doing this I went, I went door to door after I was with the Dolphins with a busted ankle, literally limping door to door. For five months, I went out door to door. It was exactly four months, three weeks, and six days, 117 days. I know my numbers well, man. I went out and, and sold 1,005 people. So 1,005 people in a span of 117 days. It was exactly 8.59 people said yes per day. I made exactly $219,735 in a span of four months, three weeks, and six days. So I made over 215 grand in under five months. That's the power of like communication. If you're good at talking to to a cold door and getting, turning that into a warm lead and selling that person, you can make great money. Now that was a record breaking feat that I did at that time, right? I'm not, I'm not promising everyone's going to come out and do that, but if you can come out in the summertime and sell a hundred homes, sell 150 homes, sell 200 in the span of three or four months, then you'll make 15 to 20 to 25 grand. We have our, our, our managers average about $91,000 in earnings over a four month span. And so we get better as we go. And these guys do really, really well. I don't promise anything is commission only, but we also provide, uh, we also don't uh, have a cap for people as well. And so they're able to make crazy amounts of money if they can learn this skill. And so that's the reason why we're talking on this podcast, man, is because of what sales can do for people. I'm so passionate about this business because of what I was able to do in, in five months. And I, it's my duty to teach it now. It's not even a choice. I, I love it, but it's a duty to get this skill set out. Did, um, <clears throat> did, did anybody like recognize you when, when, when they opened the door, like, like a sports nut or something, be like, dude, I know who you are. Yeah, I, I get some sometimes. It definitely wasn't like, uh, you know, a super celeb from the door, but uh, you'd get about, 20 BYU fans that would recognize you out in Texas or Atlanta, Georgia. You get some, you know, Dolphins fans or Vikings fans that, that would remember your name or face, but um, you get some, yeah, for sure. But I definitely will not say that that was the reason why, you know, uh, people, a thousand people bought for me because a thousand people recognized me. It definitely wasn't that case. I'm no celeb but in, in the football world. Uh, maybe in the BYU world, yes, but in the, in, in the uh, uh, you know, NFL space, not, not so much. But, but some, some people. You know, go ahead. Some people recognized you. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I know a buddy of mine that's like a Vikings nut. I told him um, you were coming on, and he knew who, exactly who you were. Really? That's cool. Tell but, 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 dude, he's, you know, he's, a, he's a Vikings nut. He knows everything about the Vikings. So, like, it's crazy, too, because a lot of times when you're watching football, you don't really see their faces unless they get celebritized because, like, you know, yeah. uh, what's his name? Marshawn Lynch. Like, dude, I, I, I couldn't pick him out at the mall. But, you know, when I'm, when I'm watching the Seahawks, yeah, I knew who Marshawn Lynch was. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So at yeah. the end of the day, it's like, you know, I couldn't pick out a lot of them. Now, Jerry Rice and these celebritized, you can see a mile away. Tom Brady, I could pick out. How yeah. do you um, how do you leverage, like, being in the NFL into it, or do you not bring it up at all? You don't even use it at all. Uh, I would say most days that I go out and sell now with my guys, I definitely don't try to bring it up at all because I don't want my guys thinking that you need some – external force to help you make a sale. You can make it a sale by just saying, Hey, how's it going? My name is Mitch with Anthem Test. You can yeah. start right there. You know? So when I go out with guys, I don't, but if I can see a sign of life, if someone has a Brigham Young university flyer outside the door, I'm definitely bringing that up. If it's a Minnesota Vikings flyer outside the door, I'm definitely bringing that up. And for guys who are into cars, if they see their favorite car on the driveway, they better bring that up to that customer. That's how they'll connect. And so bugs is boring. Pest alarms is boring. Solar's boring. It's all of it. Most of the things you sell are actually very boring. I think of software, that's boring stuff. But you're not a boring person. I'm not a boring person. And the, the uh, no sales now there's a boring person unless they make themselves so by just selling their product. So we teach our guys, man, if you have a way to connect with someone that isn't about bugs, go right to it. What about, what about no soliciting signs? What do you do about those? What do you teach your crew about those? Uh, we don't necessarily say, oh, knock every single one. We just tell them to use their discretion. I've definitely knocked on hundreds and hundreds of doors. that have that little mini notice listing sign that, that still gets sold because a lot of times they, 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 they don't want certain doors or salesmen coming to the door, like politicians or maybe religion um, coming to the door. But things like pest control, we're there to offer them a good deal. And so a lot of times they love it. You know, I've even sold signs that are like this big, half my torso big. That say, unless you're Girl Scout cookies, get the hell off my doorstep. You know, <laughs> so but you you knock those and, and you typically take a different approach to them. Um, but if someone does get mad at those, we typically tell our guys just to just to walk right away. Yeah, I always used to tell my guys, you know, no no soliciting signs. Someone had to buy. Someone had to sell them on those. Exactly. Yeah. Someone should sell, go door to door and sell no soliciting signs. Well, the I reason why uh, the reason why people put up no soliciting signs, and this is the truth, a lot of the cases is because they don't want to be bothered by salespeople because they know that they lay down, you know, whether it's the, yeah. the cleaning supplies or, or whatnot, you know, I I've closed so many deals with no soliciting. I've dude, I used to, I used to like run the gamut. I one time went business to business placing these books. I'd walk in and be like, here's a cookbook. We'll be back on Thursday. If you guys want any, fill out this form and I'll bring them and fill them on the order on Thursdays. And bro, we would just close we'd sell hundreds and hundreds of books to every business that had no soliciting sign up on their door. I wouldn't let no soliciting stop you. Now, again, I mean, uh, neighborhoods nowadays, sometimes like my neighborhood, you're not illegally allowed to knock on our doors in here. And I've never had anyone knock on our doors. How do you get around that? Yeah, typically, um, you know, neighborhood, neighborhoods have certain regulations. If there's a gate with a man manning the gate and not letting people in, we typically tell our guys to avoid those because what happens is they're just going to get kicked out pretty quick. And if you go to, if you just, if you try to go against the rules so much, you're going to waste a lot of your time dealing with the police or dealing with, uh, the HOA president. And so if I can go out in a day in a normal neighborhood with no gate, no, no slicing rules and sell eight or nine people a day, I don't want to waste my time potentially getting kicked out somewhere. 
I'm just going to go to a neighbor where I know I can sell eight, nine or 10, 12 people a day. I sold up to 17 in a day once. And so I don't want to waste my time trying to go to the neighborhoods that might be tougher and might get kicked out right away. Because neighbor, neighbors connect. You know, there's neighbor apps. There's Facebook groups where if someone's coming around, if you have a cookie recipe, you can share it real quick with the neighbors. If you're a jerk salesman, people go on the neighborhood chat and say, hey, nobody answered the door for this guy. So you want to be, you want to be very careful with your, your, your demographic and who you're talking to and just maximize your time. So if a guy is selling in those type of neighborhoods like you're in and those doors have never been knocked before, there's no sales resistance. A lot of times they have a lot of success. But if they are getting kicked out constantly, then we tell our guys to go to a different neighborhood just so they can at least have a full day of knocking with no disruptions. Dude, let me ask you, if you're sitting there 22 years old, maybe you were doing something and now you're just sitting at home, and but you're not in Atlanta. Four months is the minimum commitment. Can somebody stay there year round? Yeah, I would say three to four months is the typical the general commitment, three to four months. Some guys college semesters is just three months. And so three to four months is the normal time. You know, we'll work with them if it's shorter than that or longer than that, but definitely you can go longer than that. Um, this job is super, super hard. So if you're knocking from 10 in the morning till pitch black at night, 9 p.m., that's uh, 11 hours of knocking doors and maybe a 30 minute lunch in there somewhere. That's a grind. And so a lot of times with our guys, they make enough money. Right? If I made two, over 200 grand in five months, a lot of times our guys, they'll want to spend the other seven, eight months of the year with their families or back in school, right? So most of our guys are in college. So they just go back naturally to school. But if they want to knock you around, uh, we'll, we'll, welcome it. we'll welcome them to it. We actually have a guy this year uh, who's, we promise any sales rep that sells a thousand homes in under six months, we buy him a Tesla as, as like a, the grand reward. Cause if you're selling a thousand homes in under six months, you got some skill and you deserve a, a nice gift. So thousand homes, you buy him a Tesla model three. So if someone is up for that challenge, then, uh, we're welcome. We're welcome to, to step up to the plate. Folks, you guys heard it. If you guys want to, if you guys want to go prove Mitch wrong, man, go out there and try to try to knock on some doors, win yourself a Tesla. So, so are, are you going to write a book or anything? Uh, yes, I actually haven't announced that yet, but I'll announce it here. I, I am this fall. Um, this summers are very busy for us as from what we're talking about, but this, uh, this fall I'll definitely be, be writing a book. Uh, my idea for the book is, is going to be the daily seller, the title of it, the daily seller. So every single day, an entry, 365 entries for a salesperson to be uplifted and learn one sales skill, a one percenter, I call them, uh, every single day of the year. And so I, I would, I would highly doubt if I left you out of the book, man. So be prepared to answer my call at that time. Dude, that sounds like a kick-ass book too. Good, Sick. good, good tool. Yeah, I've already started uh, the outline of the book, and uh, I'm really excited about it. And I, it, like I said, it's a duty and a passion of mine to get it out there. So I'm excited about it. Well, listen, one of these days when this all is over and you're out in Vegas, I'd love to have you in the studio proper like these, these Zooms are not as personal. They're not as fun, but uh, I had a great time today. I'm glad you stopped by. And listen, folks, if you guys are paying attention, not only can you go out and get uh, 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 training, but you can also make an income. Now, I don't get the three or four months because if I was making 200 grand in three or four months and, you know, five months, it, I, and by the way, I, I would be one of those that you know, gets up with the record level because man, I'm a, I'm an animal. However, <laughs> there is no guarantee that with the 200, it just, just so you don't run out there and say, Hey, see mom, I'm going to go hook up with Mitch exactly, Matthews and make yeah. 200 grand. But <laughs> I'm sure you've had people go out there in a week later, pussy out and head back home. Yeah. You, you have that too. Cause they just don't like getting denied, you know? Yeah. But, but again, I mean, the mindset folks that you guys will develop is worth the, 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 
effort of doing it, even if you don't make money. I mean, dude, I'm telling you right now, that's why I call it the boot camp. People ask me about selling cars because I kind of grew up selling cars. Dude, selling cars is a kick-ass boot camp. But I'll tell you right now, door-to-door is even more of a boot camp. Because when I was selling cars, bro, and by the way, I mean, dude, it's a hell of a boot camp selling cars. I, rec- I had my uh, son, he asked me, should I sell cars? I'm, Absolutely. Not permanently, but go sell cars. Dude, you'll thicken up your skin. You'll learn You'll become wittier, I believe, sharper, faster thinking on your feet. Yeah. You'll meet a ton of people. You'll get your ass kicked. You'll, you'll learn a lot. And I can times that by at least five when it comes to door-to-door sales. So, shit, Mitch, you, you're, you're really giving someone more than an opportunity just to make money. You're giving someone the opportunity to become almost like a, 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 a machine. Like a, it's almost like a ticket to win in life, I believe. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of successful people that I know personally and that I, that I follow uh, like yourself that started in door-to-door sales. I spent time uh, a week in a cabin with Jesse Istler about uh, two months ago in Poland, as a matter of fact, and he started selling celery and carrots door-to-door. His wife, Sarah Blakely, is infamous for seven years of selling fax machines door-to-door. Phil Knight, one of my all-time mentors that I've never met before, the, the founder of uh, Nike, did encyclopedias door-to-door. There's something to be said about learning the art of rejection in sales and communication in such a fast-paced way, like door-to-door sales or selling cars, that gets people on the, on the path in a mindset of, if I can do this, what else can I do? And if I have an idea, why don't I take that same sales skills to influence employees and people to come work for my company and start an amazing business? There's an entrepreneurship, animalistic spirit that comes with this that I'm obsessed with, man. I, I get chills just talking about it. And that's why I love coaching people. That's why I love what this job can do. And it, it just fires me up. I know what it does for people. I know what it is for myself. And uh, if I didn't have this, man, I, I might be in a dark place you know, without football. But this has brought out that, like, that machine-like mindset of what else can I do and who else can I lead, who else can I influence. And it's, it's become a, a lifestyle and a passion for me. So did you grow up in Beaverton, Oregon? I think this wiki says. I did, yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in Eugene, right? A little bit south. Did you really? Yeah, Eugene, Oregon. That's where the old that's where the old Phil Knight stomps around. Better than me. Yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, he went to college down there and then he started his business up in Beaverton. And my my mom used to work for Nike. And uh, so she'd wear test their shoes. We'd go up to the employee store and go crazy with the uh, 50% off. And all my friends' dads were for Nike, so all my you know, gear and uniforms were all always swagged out. So I, I, Beaverton and Oregon, especially, is a special place in my heart, man. And I knew I knew we connected for a reason, and we have the Oregon uh, connection. You know, you know, uh, I worked at Beaverton Honda right there for. Did you really? Oh yeah. Then, oh yeah, yeah buddy. Probably, Beaverton's a cool away. little town, man. Yeah, that's probably five minutes away from my house. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you went to BYU. Are you Mormon? Yeah, I am. Oh, yep. Okay. Uh, because my, my brother's Mormon. He keeps, uh, he keeps telling me that I'm supposed to be Mormon. My family, <laughs> apparently before my great grandmother, supposedly we were Mormon and then, um, or no, I'm sorry. My great, my great grandfather, we were Mormon. Then my grandfather was Mormon. Then along came a Catholic lady, my grandma, and apparently switched him. But my bro, <laughs> but my brother's Mormon. He lives in, uh, uh, Lake city, Florida. So maybe I'll have the, maybe I'll have the the missionaries come over and maybe I'll be Mormon. Hey, that's a but sales. I'll, I did that, man. I, for two years in Florida, as a matter of fact, I did that for two years. That's where my that's where my comfort and knocking on a door was was born. I, I did that hundreds of thousands of times. Dude, in Florida, it, it, name tag. 
dude, just recruit Mormons. Like, dude, I'm telling you, they have no fear of knocking on a door. Oh, yeah. they, they are they are machines, dude. That's why in Utah, more MLM and 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 door to door companies thrive in Utah because again, dude, Mormon work ethic and the Mormon, you know, every Mormon I've ever met, by the way, seem to be the nicest people on earth. Did you do you ever see notice that? Yeah, there's a certain uh, standard of living that the church presents that allows people to typically be clean, like you know, drugs and alcohol, refraining from those things, and clean language, even though mine's not the best. But it, there's at least a, a well, I don't want to say pressure that way, but a, an influence that way to, to at least have some sort of your life be clean living and it's tried to be you know an example to others. So yeah, you will get a lot of nice people from it. Yeah, clean clean living and good work ethic. Um, I, you know, if I could, if I could recruit, if I had a door to door company and I could recruit nothing but Mormons, I'd, I'd have a full Mormon <laughs> workforce, but, uh, but I'm surprised you're in Beaverton, Oregon and you didn't go to like, uh, you know, U of O or like even, yeah, I wanted to, I was a, the biggest Joey Harrington fan, uh, Dennis Dixon fan growing up, but man, I, I was, uh, I was too white, too slow to go there, man. They didn't want, they didn't want anything to do with me, man. So I got an offer from UNLV actually, my first offer. My brother at the time was already committed to BYU as a tight end. So once he committed to BYU, that's, you know, that's as his little brother, that's where I wanted to go. And so when he went there and UNLV offered me first, then BYU offered me, I committed up pretty much on the spot to BYU because I'm like, man, if I could go play college ball with my brother, that'd be sweet. But I went out of camps at Oregon and they, they didn't want anything to do with this, this, uh, the slow junior white guy. I tell you what, man. Well, dude, you made it work out for you. Yeah. Hey, and I can tell you. <clears throat> If you're ever in Vegas, I want you to come in and, and actually do a studio studio appearance on Dropping Bombs one more time. Would you do that? 100%. My investor, one of my good buddies, lives in uh, uh, Anthem. So our, our, my pest control company's name is Anthem because we, we started in Anthem. So my, we go down to Anthem all the time, Anthem, Anthem Country Club. So I'm down in Vegas quite frequently. So in the uh, end of the summer, I'll be down there, man. Let's get together. And didn't I see you? Uh, the, did, did Steve Weatherford go with you on that Poland trip? Yeah, Steve was there. You know Steve? Yeah, I know, Steve. Dude, what was yeah. that whole Wim Hof breathing thing? What well, was the whole – it was just a Wim Hof experience. So Lewis Howe is another big podcaster. He put it on. Him and I connected uh, a while back and uh, became buddies. And so we all knew Lewis, but none of us really knew each other. Like I didn't know Jesse Isler. I didn't know Steve. I didn't know all these other guys, but Lewis knew us all. And he knew Wim Hof from his podcast. So we went up on this Wim Hof experience to Poland, freezing cold. We went on a five-hour – nothing but shorts, naked hike, uh, ice baths every day, jumping into freezing rivers and waterfalls with Wim Hof, the man himself. And so it was, like, it was a, an ice therapy breathing experience. It was amazing, man. So that's where I met Steve a couple months ago. We've been boys ever since. Do, what, 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 do, what is your overall, like, would you recommend everyone do that? The ice therapy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. I actually had it on my Instagram. I had this, uh, I put out this ice challenge, this 30-day Wim Hof Mitch Matthews challenge where ice tub for five minutes every day or take a cold shower. Uh, it, it does wonders for your, your prolonged energy in a, in a day, your, you know, induces fat loss and immunity, all these other great, you know, cognitive things it'll do for your body. Um, the breathing is insane. I mean, just from Wim Hof's breathing methods, I've been able to teach myself and learn how to hold my breath for three and a half minutes. I couldn't do it for 30 seconds right now, but just doing like 10 minutes of his breathing, I can sit there and hold my breath for three and a half minutes. And you get better and better. Some of my buddies that I've taught how to do it can get over four minutes now. It's crazy. Man. So there's just some really cool things that your body can do that you didn't think. I was able to sit in a freezing cold ice tub for 10 minutes 
Well, I mean, you can die by being there for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And you're able to sit in there and learn how to breathe the right way and, you know, overcome a lot of things. I've been doing ice baths for the last decade because of football, but never, you know, up to my neck. It's a different story. What? And uh, all these breathing things, these healing things, it was, it was really, really, really cool, man. And I, now I know why uh, he lives in the ice and why he's broken all these records. He ran a marathon around the base of Mount Everest barefoot. This guy's, this guy's I want to say nuts. That has a negative connotation to it. This guy's awesome. Wim Hof, if you don't follow him, man, he's, he's legit. What made you decide to do it? Um, honestly, the reason why I wanted to go with Lewis Howe and those guys is I really respected Wim Hof and what he, what he does for the world. Um, I like to surround myself. I mean, our, our ethos in my business is, is become a record breaker, right? This is called the record breaking script. And so he's a record breaker. He's breaking 26 records. And this is Wim Hof. And so if I could surround myself with him and learn how he does those things, and, and I have my way, I have my one way, and I do my daily thing, but I go and learn from a guy like Wim Hof, and he completely changes how I think in a good way. He expands my mind. I now can do things after meeting him for a week. I now can do things my body was never able to do. And so if I can do that on a consistent basis, I feel like I can become superhuman, you know, sooner than not you know, metaphorically and to surround myself with other guys like Steve and Jesse and, and Lewis and just be around them. It was uh it was really cool. It was a special time. Yeah, dude. A lot of people would love to go on that trip. Those are good dudes. All of them. <clears throat> well, next I, time I'll finish, Brad, I know you got a roll, but next time I do, a, I'm going to do a Wim Hof experience up here in Utah. Shirtless hike, freezing cold temps up in the mountains here in Utah, ice baths. Next time we're coming up here, man, I'm, I'm going to bring you out of the heat in Vegas. We'll come up and do it together. Well, I was supposed to go up there with Weatherford. He did one a little while ago. I went to that one. Yeah. Oh, did you? I was supposed yeah, to I go went. to, I was supposed to go to that, but I, I double booked myself. And then I started also to think, man, like, do I really want to sit there and dunk my ass in cold weather? <laughs> um, yeah. but, but I double booked. Otherwise I would have went on that one. Hey, last question. Three books that if you were starting your business all over again, that you've read that you wish you would have read before you read them, what would they be? Number one is uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. The amount of re- resilience that's riddled in that book is insane for any entrepreneur. Uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Start With Why by Blake Mykoski. It, it just talks about why you should start a business, start a business that actually matters. So it's, or excuse me, it's called Start, start Something That Matters by Blake Mykoski. Um, it, it's starting a business that actually matters and can influence and affect people. And that's what I think we do here at Anthem. And the third is start with why, excuse me. So start with why by Simon Sinek is number three. Uh, that book is self-explanatory. Starting with why is you better have a deep why before you uh, embark on a journey or else you're going to quit, you know? And so number one, uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Number two is start something that matters by Blake Mykoski. And number three is... Uh, start uh, with why by Simon Sinek. Beautiful. Folks, make sure you go follow Mitch at MitchMatthews.com. Or no, let me see. Oh, at MitchMatthews10. Yeah. Is that, is that, was that your number, I take it? Yeah, exactly. It's my number for my career. Mitch Matthews with one T. Go follow him. Hit him up. Hashtag Bomb Squad. Mitch, I appreciate you coming or not coming. I appreciate you taking the time to help my listeners learn learn a few things and definitely for the opportunity you're giving everybody out there. Yeah, 100%. Brad, it's been fun, man. You're awesome. Likewise. Hey, listen, Bomb Squad, go hit him up. Give him a hashtag. Till next time, as always, keep it real. This is Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe at DroppingBombs.com.